Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and through his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord that I invite you to meditate upon with me at this time in our service is that which serves as our first lesson, and you can turn to it and follow along as I read it on page 4 from your worship folders. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting a revolt, and therefore you are building the wall." Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. This is the word of our God. In the name of the Holy Spirit, who has been and continues to be at work in you and for you, my dear friends, a recent Nielsen poll revealed these statistics about people accomplishing their goals. For example, 95% of new products introduced each year fail. 95%. In addition to that, 68% of IT projects fail. And 70% of strategies fail. Does that surprise you? So what does that tell you about the majority of human endeavors? They fail. People set out on a goal, they set out to accomplish a task, they set out to establish something, and the majority of the time, they aren't able to finish what they start. And does that not lead you then to question, as we study the Word of God, how effective God's plans are for you and for me? especially when we know that those plans involve people who are prone to failure, like you and me. So how confident can you be, how confident can I be, 
that God's plans for us will be worked out. That our plans will succeed. Well, this is where Nehemiah chapter 6 provides some insights for you and for me. In the previous four weeks, we've been learning how Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer for the Persian king and a Jew, had heard that the city of Jerusalem, even though exiles had returned for approximately 100 years now, was still in, was still in ruins. No walls, was still insecure. On the one hand, this was a disgrace for the Jewish people. But even worse than that, Jerusalem remaining in ruins dishonored the Lord God. And so Nehemiah had it in his heart to do something about it. It was his goal to restore Jerusalem and its walls. And so he asked permission from the Persian king to return to Jerusalem for a time in order to oversee that work. And he succeeded. Why? Now, analysts might tell you that Nehemiah succeeded because he had a clear goal in mind, that he clearly articulated and communicated that goal and he remained focused on it, that he had integrity, and also that he had transparency. While all those things may be true, the scriptures actually point us in a different direction when it comes to the reason why Nehemiah succeeded. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So people can have all kinds of plans, all kinds of goals. They can have focus. They can have transparency. They can have integrity. But if what they plan is opposed by God, it will not, it cannot succeed. The Tower of Babel is an historical example of that. They were trying to do what God opposed, and God saw that it failed. And so what God has in mind will succeed. How can you know what God has in mind? Can you ask God for a sign? He doesn't promise to answer us in that way, does he? Can you take a poll of fellow Christians and say, well, if we get enough godly minds together, the majority there must have the right idea of what God's plan is, but then the scriptures remind us that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So how can you know if a goal is a godly goal that if what you've determined to do it's something God wants you to be doing. Well, here we have some direction from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, find out what God's will is. Speak to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms and hymns are scriptural truths that have been put to melodies so that the word and will of God gets sung into hearts, Right? A mighty fortress is our God. We just sang that into our hearts, right? 
And you may go home humming it, thinking about it. It is through his word that God reveals his ways and his goals for us to adopt as our ways and our goals. So does that mean then that if you have adopted a goal that aligns with God's goal, that everything will play out just as you have outlined it? Yes and no. Before Jesus left this earth, he gave this command, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is God's goal for all Christians for all ages. The Apostle Paul latched onto that goal. And so he traveled throughout the Roman Empire proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And he had in mind to go to the Roman province of Asia, but he was kept from doing so. He tried again and again. And then in a dream, the Lord Jesus came to him and said, go to Macedonia. Was Paul's goal out of alignment with God's goal? No. Same overarching purpose, but the Lord redirected Paul's specific goal to go make disciples, didn't he? To a different location. Let me give you a more recent example. Fifteen years ago, this congregation had it in its heart to partner up with two other churches so that as a group of three, we could start a Lutheran elementary school and support it. The group of three failed. We had in our heart to work with one other congregation so that as a two, group of two, we could have a Lutheran school so that we could proclaim Jesus Christ to all ages and nations. It's a godly goal. Again, it failed. And if you look out those windows today, here we are as a single church putting a second floor on our child care and school facilities. Man proposes, God disposes. Our goal was a godly goal, but our God redirected it, didn't he? And that's how the Lord works in our lives. He guides us with his word to have the right attitudes, to have the right general direction, but then he redirects you and me. And his work gets done, doesn't it? And that's what we see happening with the walls of Jerusalem. So you need to understand that Nehemiah knew his scriptures. He understood from Moses, he understood from Isaiah, he understood from Jeremiah that Jerusalem was to be the place where God would make atonement. The place where God had put his name. The place where the sins of the world would be paid for. He knew that this would not happen if Jerusalem wasn't restored as a city. This was a godly goal. Therefore, it succeeded. But it's important for us to remember that having a godly goal doesn't mean that it succeeds easily. Because there's someone in this world whom we sang about in the third verse of A Mighty Fortress is Our God who wants to disrupt all of this, and his name is Satan. He does not want God's plan, God's larger plan of salvation to be carried out. 
The rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem were part of that plan. And he did what he could to disrupt it. What happened is there were three individuals in the neighboring province of Samaria. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And Satan used them. He latched on to their envy because they were rivals politically in the Persian Empire for power and prestige. And there was also some racism involved there. They hated Jews. So those three individuals, when they heard that the wall in Jerusalem was progressing, that all that needed to be done was to put the gates in place, went into overdrive now to try to make it stop. And so Sanballat sent messages to Nehemiah. He said, come meet with me in the plain of Ono, one of the villages there, 20 miles away from Jerusalem, away from any protection that Nehemiah might have. Now let's talk. Well, this just didn't smell right to Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah is the one who responded by saying, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah was not going to let his enemies distract him from the work that he knew God had intended him to do. But Satan was not going to give up. Three more letters came with the same message from Sanballat and his supporters. Nehemiah sends them the same response, but then came the fifth message that was accompanied by a letter. And that letter contained two false accusations and one threat. He had this to say. You and the Jews are plotting a revolt. You are about to become king. So think of that. They're spreading rumors now about what's going on in Jerusalem. So I can go all across the empire. You know what's happening there in that region of Judea? They're building a wall around the city. Nehemiah wants to declare himself king. And they add the threat, now this report will get back to the king. And guess what kings do to rebels? Off with their heads, right? That's a serious threat. What would you do if you're Nehemiah? Would you cave in and say, okay, okay, I can't have the king sending his armies and hauling me off to prison and perhaps executing me. Would you make a deal with Sam Ballot and Tobiah? Try to negotiate something here so maybe we, we can, you know, still have the wall and, and, and I can still save my skin. You see that Nehemiah doesn't do any of that. Instead, he responds, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. And then he adds this parenthetical remark. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Nehemiah understood the reality of this threat. Why didn't he give in? 
Because he trusted God, didn't he? He trusted that he was doing the Lord's work and that the Lord would protect him as he carried it out. Despite the opposition that would be raised against him. Nehemiah understood that the Lord finishes what he starts. This project that was in line with the will of God was going to be completed according to the will of God. Nehemiah was convinced of that. He was not going to let anything stop him or turn him away. Satan still hasn't changed. He still opposes God's plans. What happened with the wall in Jerusalem was just one small part of God's larger plan, which began already before the creation of the world. See, before God ever said, let there be light, he foreknew that Adam and Eve would turn against him and become rebels. And he already planned in his heart and in his mind what he was going to do about it. He was going to send a Savior, and he determined when and where that Savior would arrive. And so Jerusalem was rebuilt, the city where Jesus did his preaching and his teaching and his dying and his rising. This was all a part of God's larger plan of seeing to it that payment would be made for your sin and my sin, for all your lies and my lies, for all of the mean and awful things that we've said to each other to tear each other down, for all of our disrespect for those in authority. Jesus covered it all. God was finishing what he started when Jesus came to this earth, finishing what he planned. Satan tried to stop it, remember? When Herod heard that there was a king of the Jews in Bethlehem, Satan incited him to send soldiers to kill the babies there, but God the Father saw it coming, sent Joseph and Mary to Egypt. Jesus, after his baptism, spends 40 days in the desert, head-to-head -head in temptation with the devil, and he wins. He maintains his righteousness so that he can give it to you and me as a gift. And when Peter tells Jesus to turn away from the pain, the shame, and the death of the cross, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus finished what God started. But there's more work to be done, as I told the children, than just Jesus dying for our sins and paying the price, right? That's what we're celebrating today on Pentecost. The Bible tells us that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Every sin that has ever been committed in this world is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's all for nothing if you don't believe in Jesus. Faith holds on to the gift of forgiveness. Unbelief rejects it. And guess what? You are conceived in unbelief and so am I. And so there's another work of God besides paying for our sins that must happen, and that's the work of giving us faith in our hearts. It's the work of the Spirit. And that work happened at Pentecost, right, as they proclaimed the gospel. 3,000 were baptized that day, but Satan was still at work trying to disrupt that. The Jewish leaders called the apostles in, and they said, you stop teaching about Jesus, and if you don't, we're going to throw you into prison. The apostles kept preaching, and they threw him into prison. 
Stephen was martyred. But the word was still spread. More and more people believed. Roman emperors tried to eradicate those who followed the way. But the more they tried to wipe it out, the further it spread. The Reformation hymn we sang, Hymn 200, takes us back to the 1500s when Martin Luther was being told, you stop preaching and teaching, recant your statements that we are saved by grace alone through the work of Jesus Christ alone. He didn't. And we're called the Lutheran Church today because God finishes what he starts. And here we are as a congregation still doing the work that God has called us to do. Is there opposition? Absolutely. And it comes in a variety of ways still. When I go out and canvass, there are those who will tell me, all the church wants is my money. Why is Satan prompting them to tell me that? Because he wants to turn me away from going to the next door. So I just tell them, oh, we want much more than your money. We want your soul. And the Holy Spirit works through that message, doesn't he? We want you to know Jesus. And if you look at your role as, as a neighbor, as a parent, as a friend, um, you have a calling, you have a task from God, and that is to be his witnesses, right? Are you perfect at that? No. I can't tell you the times I have let opportunities to witness for Jesus go without seizing them. But from eternity, God has chosen whom he will call to faith in Jesus. And if I don't get it done, God will see that somebody else does. And for the times that I failed, I have the blood of Jesus to forgive me, right? For the times that you fail, you have the blood of Jesus to forgive you. God finishes what he starts. He did it in the case of Nehemiah, the church before Jesus was born. And he continues to do it in the church today, thousands of years after Jesus has returned to heaven. And so it's with that in mind that I would like you to take a look at these words which the Apostle Paul gives to us as comfort. He says, He who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good to know? God has brought you to faith in Jesus. He's going to see that it sticks as you continue to use his word and receive his holy supper. And God is going to continue to use you so that you have an impact in the lives of others as you encourage and you witness. And he will bring to completion what he has chosen from eternity for you to be by his side. And so, brothers and sisters, Go out and serve the Lord with confidence, knowing that the Lord always finishes what he starts. Amen.